Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1383, with guest Julie Lerman. Recorded Friday, November 4th, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Julie Lerman is here. We're going to be talking to her about, guess what? Any framework. Hooray. Very soon. But, uh, dude, uh, I, I got a story for you. I love it. Let's roll the music, I'll tell you. Okay. So it's a story and it's a better know. You got it. This is Better Know Framework. Yeah. And uh, Better Know Framework started out as me finding little pieces of the .NET framework way back in the day and just shining a little light on them. And then when the framework got uninteresting because we weren't, you know, I don't know, what, what happened really? We ran out of things to talk about. We kind of we knew the framework. I kind of knew the happened. framework. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I started looking around the internet for things that um, were interesting, maybe products, maybe APIs. Um, and then every once in a while, a YouTube video. Yep. You know, I don't know who said, maybe it was P.T. Barnum who said, build a better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door. I think it was Edison, but okay. Edison. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was one of them P. guys. P.T. Barnum was the uh, suckers born suckers every minute. Suckers born every minute. Table. That's right. By the way, P.T. Barnum from Bridgeport, Connecticut, something I'm famous for, right? You feel famous? Uh, no. Bridgeport, <laughs> Connecticut, famous for the biggest charlatan in the world. New London, Connecticut, famous for taking away uh, your house. Thank you. Nice. Anyway, I digress. So <laughs> sometimes <laughs> no, sometimes it's about the mouse trap. So go to thirteen eighty three dot me. That's the show number. Yeah, the show number. And Matthias Wandel from I, I think he doesn't really say, but I sort of figured out that he's Canadian from his accent, and I <laughs> and he's using an audio company that is one person, and they're in the Yukon, which is what. That sounds very Canadian. That sounds very Canadian, of course. It is. And uh, when you see the video, I think you'll say, oh, yeah, that's a that's somebody who's way up there in the Arctic. <laughs> Making so, a better mousetrap? Yeah, no, this is a guy with too much time on his hands. That's yes, exactly. But he does it with uh, a Raspberry Pi video surveillance system that he basically figured out and, and did. Okay, I'm watching it right now. Yeah, go ahead and watch it right now, <laughs> and we will... Go forward in time to after you've watched it. Go. So the guy set up uh, in his big garage. 
he set up, uh, cause he's got mice. He set up a little, a bucket and normally he would have filled it with water because you want the mice to fall in the water and drown. However, he didn't want to show mice dying on YouTube. He's nice because he's Canadian. <laughs> And he basically uh, set up a light and a motion detection sensor on the Raspberry Pi, and he demonstrated by putting his hand in the frame whenever there's motion, the Raspberry Pi records the frame, and then he can play back the video that only has the frames with the mouse in it. So he started out with a can, like a beer can, um, swiveling on a dowel, and he put little pieces of, you know, smears of peanut butter all over the can. So the whole idea is that the mouse would go out onto the can, lose its balance, and then slip into the water. And the mouse was pretty ingenious and figured out pretty quickly that it could just scooch the can over towards it and just pick around the edges. And it actually did fall in. But after a couple of minutes, it figured out how to jump back out of the bucket. So he had then Which did, is went further to, than you think a mouse could jump. That's true. It's pretty amazing. This is like an industrial five-gallon bucket, right? So anyway, then he took two cans, and one he put some rocks in so it wouldn't move, and the mouse would get cocky enough to walk out onto it and then try walking out onto the second one where it would slip in. And then he went a little step further and made a little diving board type thing and it just had a tilted weight, and the mouse was able to negotiate when it started tipping and scurry back. So that didn't work. So then he attached a magnet to the back of it, and the magnet would surprise the mouse. So, you you know, the, the diving board thing is stable, stable, stable. He's walking out, he's walking out, and then all of a sudden he tips the balance, and boom, he's in. Right. And that turned out to be the most effective. But Except for the part that the mouse can still climb out of the bucket. Well, of course, of, of course, all of these would have worked had there been water in the bucket. Right. Right. That's, drown the mouse. Yeah, that's the story. So if then I went looking and he's got all these other videos, like a wasp sucking machine. <laughs> he's all about pests. <laughs> yeah, but he also has like a slinky machine and a pen, pen shaking contraption like... He's clearly got too much time on his hands up in the Yukon. And I just thought, you know, I got a Canadian and I got a practically Canadian here on the show. <laughs> let's. I think he's talking about you, Julie. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go there. That's funny. So isn't that cool? It's pretty cool. Yeah. And 8 million views on this YouTube video. So. That's a, a, uh, I don't, I'm not going to read the comments because YouTube comments cost you IQ points, but I'm yes, sure there's a do. whole lot of people saying, don't be mean to the mouse. Actually, the comments are disabled, so that was probably a good call. Good call. To, to disable yeah. comments. That's fair. All right, that's what I got. Who's talking to us, Richard? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1070, the one we did with Julie, back in December of 2014, talking about NRV Framework 7. Yeah. Oh, so long ago. Two years ago. A mere two years ago, so, and a ton of great comments on there, which Julie interacted with and so forth, because she's such a responsible guest. Yep. But my <laughs> favorite comment of the bunch here is from Eric Wild, who says, really? Again? I built a substantial <laughs> app in EF4. <laughs> oh, you like that? That's a Maybe great I should way just to... left that comment there. It was done. <laughs> you should have just left it right there. You there you go. Really? Again? Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I guess this is somebody who is totally unfamiliar with the javascript uh community yeah no. right yeah absolutely. the javascript environment right yeah with a new javascript something every day but right. he did say more he said i built a substantial app in ef4 waiting to get the kinks worked out of ef 
heads down coding. I went to a .NET Rocks road trip show with Julie Lerman in Atlanta. That's a while ago. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Talking about the new EF5 that was coming out. I found out that the upgrade path from EF5 was the highlight of my EF4 project. Just hit delete, run compile, and fix any ensuing errors. Yeah. Really? I decided to genesis that. I didn't mislead him, did I? What's I, th- I haven't read this one. Never remember this one. Okay. Maybe you just blocked Keep it reading. out. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I decided to jettison that portion of my code and start working with EF5. A lot more code later, EF7 is looming ahead. What is the upgrade path for, me, for my EF5 and 6 code? Highlight the EF project, delete, run, compile, and fix any serious errors? Really? Hmm. Really? Again? Again? <laughs> This is data access code. No, it can just start all over again. You guys start all over again, yeah. And this is data access code. Changing it out is not trivial, and it's scary. I don't want to change it out every few years because the team missed something again. Ah, that's not Is this a Monty Python episode? You remember that one? They put Michael Palin on the firing squad, they shoot at him, and they keep missing, and they put (laughs) Michael Palin back into his cell so the firing squad can practice shooting. John Cleese is the squad leader telling Palin, next time, definitely. <laughs> so uh when does EF8 come out? What does that upgrade path look like? Yeah, well, I you guys were I was just at Dev Intersection and you know I did a whole session on EF6 or EF core and and kind of giving advice about that stuff. So um I mean that that's actually something we can talk about right there's no soundbite that'll an important topic right there's no soundbite that will answer the question well i and one of the reasons i read this comment is i thought wow i bet we're going to make a whole show about exactly this yeah gulp so eric thank you so much for your comment a dotnet rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug write a comment on the website at dotnet rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to facebook and google plus and if you comment there and we read it on the show we'll send you a mug and definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We generate our entities with them. <laughs> Not really. No, more store procedures. We generate store procedures. With yeah, them. that's true. Actually, it doesn't generate store procedures, but that's another That's another story. There you go. Let's talk to Julie Lerman. Julie is a Microsoft Regional Director and a longtime Microsoft MVP and, I might add, a longtime .NET Rocks guest. She makes her living as a mentor and consultant to software teams around the world. You can find Julie presenting on entity framework, domain-driven design, and other topics at user groups and conferences around the world. Julie blogs at thedatafarm.com slash blog. She's also the author of the highly acclaimed Programming Entity Framework books and the MSDN Magazine Data Points column and popular videos on Pluralsight.com. Follow Julie on Twitter at Julie Lerman, L-E-R-M-A-N. Welcome back, Julie. Hello, hello. Thanks for inviting your individual inviting shows, me again. your panel shows, and the other collective shows we've done to you. Show number 13. Congratulations. Wow. Really? Yeah. Lucky. Wow. Uh, unlucky number. Oh, boy. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> it's always fun with you guys. Definitely. And I always learn something. I got to so, tell you... You know, I want to warn you, um, I, I, you know, my office is a home office and my husband happens to be home today and ah. of course the dogs are around. So I warned both of them 
You come in the office, no burping, no farting, no nothing, because right. they will leave it in no burp, and blame me for it, I'm burp, sure. Burp, fart, gulp, <laughs> grunt. I remember that conversation. <laughs> oh, we're doing JavaScript today? So, <laughs> Richard, still in a surly mood, I might say. <laughs> um, do, you, do you guys have mice? <laughs> <laughs> it's Vermont. <laughs> you have Vermont well, mice. They actually have extra fur, right? really cold and really lots of snow outside they'll look for ways to come in the house for sure and yeah. my husband goes after them um you know he try he does mouse traps i'm like oh no just you know put it back outside well i might add <laughs> there you is... know, they live under the snow like all those little animals they live under right. the snow and burrow and stuff and keep warm down there well, I might add, Julie, that in this video, there's a link to a website where he shows how to put this mousetrap together with a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. So, you might actually, you know, if you have a little IoT itch, you know, you might help him out. <laughs> the the humane mousetrap. I know. Well, Rich always, you know, when I suggest that, like, find another way. Actually, the, tra the actual old-fashioned traps that Snap you know, traps. Yeah, snap traps. Yeah. Those are horrible. Those are really, you know, and he puts peanut butter or Snickers bars in them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, just do something else and take it outside. He says, it'll just come right back in. Mm. I have a Cairn Terrier. Yeah, that's your mouse trap. <laughs> yes. He has actually dug a hole through a piece of drywall to get to a mouse. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. I get that. I They're a little intense, Cairn Terriers. A little intense. Yeah. Yeah, but he's the. Bear killer, the bear well, chaser. Just, just chases them. He hasn't caught one yet. He just thinks they're big mice. <laughs> so I think this comment is a great place to start in just uh, talking about gotchas and, um, you know, things that people typically run into with Entity Framework and how to work around them. And maybe how uh, Entity Framework Core, um, you know, helps ameliorate that situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, big thing about EF core is it's a total rewrite from the ground up and really again oh yeah again no no they've <laughs> no, never this done that time before. we mean it they've been you know EF was originally part of .NET framework yeah and they just you know change it and change it but then starting with EF 4.1 with a DB context and code first and everything all that stuff they've innovated on since then that's all been just sitting on top of the core entity framework APIs and you know it's band-aids and staples and duct tape mm -hmm. right so um there's a point at which that's just not flying anymore right well, and, i and mean and we've all been through that decision and with the name core just like asp.net core and and .NET Framework Core, this is the reboot time, right? This is right. we're going to make it cross-platform, open source from the beginning. ES7. You know all those things. Yeah, and, and they struggled with that at the beginning. You know, this is all new. Should we call it EF7 or should we call it something different? Mm -hmm. Right. And right. they originally settled on EF7 because it's still Entity Framework. But then eventually, along with ASP.NET Core and .NET Core and everything, it just got renamed to EF Core. So it makes sense. So EF6 is going to be, you know, Entity Framework. And EF Core is EF Core. Uh, I mean, Entity Framework Core. So EF6 is almost now going to be like 
EF heavy. Yeah. <laughs> EF big. And EF core is EF light. Right? So EF6 is staying around. They're still working on it. It's still, you know, it's they actually they moved it from Codeplex over to GitHub. That says a lot. Yeah, it does. <laughs> they plan to be working with it still. Yeah. yeah. Well, in, in the same um, way that we, you know, we did a show with Jeff Fritz talking about the uh, ASP.NET 4 and and the work that's ongoing there. You know, he's working on yeah. web forms. New features are coming. So, the, so it, there's difference. a reason to move to core rather than five. It's a different parallel version. Yes. And, and parallel is exactly the right word there. Mm -hmm. um, and there's actually a really big difference between ASP.NET 4 and web forms, all of that. Yeah. And... EF6, EF6 is open source. Uh, right? So it's on GitHub, takes, it can still continue to take um, pull requests from the community, right? And they're still going to keep working on it, tweak it, fix it, deal right. with pull requests. It's just they're not going to be making the big innovation in there. But also today, EF6 is the stable version of Entity Framework. Not to say that EF Core isn't stable, but EF6 has all of those features in it. And it's been, uh, as Rowan Miller said on Channel 9, he said, it's battle-tested. Yeah. Right? It's been around for years and it's battle-tested. Uh, and, and it's got all, all of that stuff in it. So EF Core, it's still new. Um, and it's, you know, they're not aiming for full feature parity with EF6, but eventually they're going to get a lot of that in there, but there's a lot of features that people depend on that aren't the most common things that people use. So they're kind of, you know, on the back burner for being brought in in a future update. Right. Well, and I got to think that thinking about data access on Linux and Mac is a very different thing than on Windows. Well, and also the fact that it is this you know, more focused right now, the initial version of it was really focused on releasing with ASP.NET Core right. and therefore about lightweight and about web and about disconnected. So they really mm -hmm. focused on those things first. So so things like um, um, the change tracker, the APIs for doing disconnected, you know, working with disconnected entities, they worked hard on that. Whereas things like lazy loading, it'll come someday, but lazy loading depends on being connected. It's more for client right. apps. It's really not that important on the website. Right. It isn't. And, right. and lazy loading can actually get in the way on the website, can it? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I've, I, I, Personally, just, you know, people get mad at me. They're like, oh, I'm so tired of people trashing lazy loading. The problem is I've just seen it misused and, and accidentally abused so often. Yeah. So I think, you know, by, by, by default, like, you gotta just know don't when to do use it, it unless you really know what you're doing and you really, you know why you're using it. Yeah. You got to know when to use what. There's no trashing. It's there are situations like, where yeah. it's not applicable. Well, it, they, I guess it's because I'm always saying, oh, lazy loading. Oh, oh, just okay. get rid of it. <laughs> well, you know, if something keeps on burning you, eventually you're well, going to do it go fire. Yeah, but, you know, on the other hand, uh, something like lazy loading is good for business for me. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and use it. Oh, then call geez. Julie. She's the performance on this website. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to come in and, you know, help you with that. <laughs> so if you could boil it down to guidance, then you'd say, look, if you're making a data access layer for a web entity, you know, for a website, um, don't use lazy loading. Is it that easy? Yeah. That's uh, that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the um even if you're not going to use the entities in in my case I like to separate the data access layer from the the DTOs. Yeah. And if you know instead of having a save on the DTOs or an update or whatever um even if you're not going to use that it's still the designer is great for generating your database. Mhm. You know, for, for it's really good at if you have a blank SQL database and you're going to design tables, don't go into the SQL management studio and do it for crying out loud. That'll take you forever. Um, it's great, great way to do that in the entity designer. Every DBA on the show right now is cringy. <laughs> well, Everyone. you know what? I'm a developer, not Carl a DBA. <laughs> I'm a developer, not a DBA. So, uh, just yeah. as a digression, you know, because we were all just a dev intersection. Yeah, there's a SQL intersection that runs in parallel with dev intersection. Yep, uh, run by Kim Tripp and Paul Randall, two amazing people who I adore. Yeah, and every show we do a SQL Q and A on that is recorded as a run as radio. Mm-hmm. Normally, run as are half hour. These Q and As are an hour, and they will typically have you know the the, the SQL intersection attendees all there, several hundred of them. And uh, Kim and Paul, sometimes Brent Ozar, uh, David Plett, um, and often like team members from the SQL team, guys like Bob Ward and so forth are there. And they're answering questions. And I, I do mic running, and it makes for a fun show. The last question of this latest show, and it'll be published in probably around the same time this show is published, yeah, was exactly that question. What do I do about developers who insist on code-first Database generation. Ah. Uh, because from, from a DBA point of view, it's a horror show. Oh, it, it can be if you don't know what you're doing, right? Doesn't code first imply you don't know what you're doing when it comes to databases? I, I know what I'm doing. I just prefer to spend the least amount of time as possible doing it. Well, I would love to hear first what your response was to that, Richard. And then I would like to share my my input on that. Where I went, because we were literally out of time, is I said, you know, developers are now in a model where they need to iterate very, very quickly. And deciding on a database in advance is extremely difficult when you're still formulating exactly what this app is going to do. Getting DBAs involved early in that process is going to be frustrating for both parties. But you've also got to ask the question, why aren't you part of that conversation in the first place? Okay. I th- I think I see where our disconnect is right here. I'm I'm not uh I don't advocate code first because you're right that does generate a messy database. I'm talking about I have a blank database and I do want to build my database first, but rather than use um SQL management studio which I've done for years, uh I I want to draw out the entities and I want to create a script that maybe I can modify the script, but I want to generate a script that I can run to set up my tables and entities. And yeah, it, that's, if you have the default field type, it's going to be in varchar max. And you might, might not like that. You might, you might like that. You might not want it, but it does a good job at setting up, uh, relationships in the database 
and therefore it's easier than using the UI built into SQL Management Studio to do that for creating indexes and all that stuff. Well, does anybody want to hear from the Entity Framework expert? Yes. Yeah. Tell, me, <laughs> tell me I'm wrong because I really want to no, know the best way I, to do you're it. you're not. You're not at all. So, first of all, I need to say some of my best friends are DBAs. Nah. And I really <laughs> love, and there are some like Richie Romp, who works with Brent, who knows the Entity Framework, and he's always looking for that balance, and he presents on that too, two DBAs, okay. right? So I really love that. Um, you know, he likes Entity Framework, so he's trying to make sure they have the right information before they freak out. Yeah, right. So that's on the DBA side. On the developer side, so what you're saying is uh, exactly right, Carl, because you know, you can use code first to generate your your database on your development machine so you can iterate over your model and get things worked out the way you want and still have a database to work with. Mm. At the point where it starts making sense to think about sharing that or a production database, mm-hmm. then EF code first lets you create a script. Right. So you yep. take, so now you've, you've got things shaped about the way you want. You've had to go, maybe gone through it a whole bunch of times to get there. Now you're ready to talk to your DBA. You bring them the script along with, um, you know, flowers, candy, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> pizza. And believe it or say, not, DBAs is, eat pizza too. Pizza. <laughs> this is kind of sort of what I want. Yeah. Can you, can you make it right? Yep. And the only thing that you have to be careful about is anything that changes, any changes to the schema that might impact the mappings. Yeah. So, and that's where you need to work together. I remember when Entity Framework was new, I remember hearing people say, you know, there's a, it, it's almost like how we've gotten DevOps, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a role here for people who understand both sides, understand right the needs of the developer and understands the needs of the database. And I, and I know people like that too, but you know, it's almost, it's almost a, a role like a DevOps can be a role. Yeah. And I don't disagree. It's great advice. The, the, the DBA in the early stage of the database can, uh, and the, of the application can be an obstacle. It takes a long, you have right. to make decisions when you're not ready to make them yet. I yeah. agree. So getting that initial set of iterations to you get into a shape where people care about it. The challenge now is is up to the dev to know the moment to engage the DBA. Yeah, right. and and then what you might do is after the DBA has done their tweaks, they generate the tables and all of that stuff, and then you recreate your model based on it and see if your code breaks. Right. Well, and, and the, the thing that they're going to go after more than anything is data typing, constraints around values, sure. you know, stuff like that is, I think, very hard to express in EF. It's not hard. It just takes de- attention to detail. That's all. There, There is one thing I want to change, though, with your proposal, which is to, once they've created the database the way it works, then just reverse engineer and recreate your model. Okay. By the, by the time you're there, you've probably got your domain classes really well shaped and what reverse engineering will do is just literally give you something that is no more than a dto yeah with just a set of properties with public getters and setters so so you lose all of your intelligence so it's not the domain classes but it's the mappings i think the mappings that are 
key to keep on top of once the once somebody who as a you know professional knows what they're doing in the database and makes yeah. things right on the database and then you need to go back and make sure those mappings are correct now the mappings even if you're never going to use code first to literally generate the database right you might just kind of keep things in sync together right there there're a whole lot of paths for doing that but the mappings are still critical even if you're not going to generate the database using code first because Entity Framework also uses that at runtime to understand what the database looks like so that it can build commands, you know, build queries and build update commands and things like that. Right. I think it's an interesting dance and it's well worth talking about. It's just trying to figure out how these relationships go together because there's without a doubt a value to EF's ability to let you iterate fast. Just this is only the next pass while I try and show the, you know, the domain expert, is this what you want? Is it Should it look like that without involving more people than necessary? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, similar to how DDD gives us, I mean, not permission, but just helps, encourages developers and, you know, people designing applications to work more closely with the domain experts. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, okay, so DDD is like, well, we don't care about the database, <laughs> the persistence. <laughs> that's that's secondary. Um, I'm I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of not. Kind of. Um, <laughs> but it's not. still, you know, that same kind of collaboration is is so critical. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's good to have those conversations. I mean, part of this is also, and I think it's one of the reasons when we are working, especially in an enterprise environment, we evolved DBAs fairly early on. It's like there are often structures that already exist in existing databases that will provide you data for your new app. You know, we don't need another customer's table. I suspect we have one. <laughs> so you know what you should do for the next dev intersection? Find mm-hmm. a way to create some kind of collaboration. I love it, yeah. Whether it's a panel or something like that. To show that programmers and DBAs can actually have lunch together. (laughs) Have lunch together, but help each other. Yeah. Yeah. We can actually make a product better in the end. It's a a hardware problem. It's a software problem. It's the same. That's the same (laughs) problem, right? Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to regenerate our mappings from the solid schema of this conversation to the joke first mappings of stupidity. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Oh, look, another empty set. Uh, Oh, 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 nice. (laughs) I've taught you well, young Padawan. Graduate of the Carl Franklin School of Comedy. <laughs> yeah, the School of Non-Comedy. It's actually time to give away Component One Studio from Component One Grape City to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Let me tell you about Grape City Active Reports. Wow. Active Reports is the reporting platform for all your business needs. Design, publish, view, print, and export operational reports, such as invoices, expense reports, tax and government forms as well as strategic and analytical reports, such as sales performance, budgeting, and revenue analysis. Active Reports gives you the operation and flexibility you need to turn your data into informative, pixel-perfect reports across the enterprise. And one of the very original sponsors of .NET Rocks, way at the beginning. Absolutely. Definitely the first sponsor when they were Mm -hmm. Data Dynamics. And still an amazingly great reporting tool all these years later. Yeah. Makes you happy. Still going. So who's our winner? 
Today's winner, Richard, is Edward Salinas. Congratulations, Edward. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Edward. Little, little clappers for you. Little clappers. And Edward just won Component One Studio. That's a great big pile of awesome from our friends at Component One. And if you don't know why or what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. Also, by the way, if you want to get our newsletter, which we're going to start doing on a weekly basis, that's going to have some extra nuggets for you, sign up for the fan club. That's nice. a good way to get it. Uh, we like to ask our guest, Julie Lerman, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? And this ought to be good, Richard. Mm-hmm. I actually spent some time thinking about it this time. All right. I have a list. Okay. So actually, after I made, a li- after I'd made my list, I got an email that said it would fr- was from WordPress.com, but God knows who it was, but I couldn't resist clicking on the link. I, I've I've got I've got protection and it it said reserve julie.blog today. I was like, "Oh, let's see. That's interesting." Hmm. So, I clicked on the link and it was a well, a $10,000 a year. <laughs> huh, what? <laughs> I don't know. And and a two hundred and twenty dollar early reservation fee. Wow, <laughs> ten thousand dollars a year. No so problem. that was out. I only have five thousand. Oh well. And the next thing I thought about was a Tesla wall battery, <laughs> and those are actually a little over five thousand dollars. Yeah, they are. But I think I, but I think I mentioned this one before. Mm. So then I thought about something that I've always wanted and I'm always looking at and have always asked my husband about installing it, which is a professional weather station with an anemometer on the peak of our roof. Ah. So a really good one that, you know, has, you can interact with the internet and everything. That's only about $500, but I figure the other $4,500 I could use for installation fees. So, because it's going to be up on the peak of our roof. So, Julie, and I know you live up in the mountains in Vermont. Do you think that this would be um, better than going to weather.com and dealing with all their ads and all the. Well, it's not for that. It's always, I mean, and we know what the, you know, we've got things so we know what the temperature is outside. But there's so many times when I'm like, oh my God, it's so windy out. That must be like 50 miles an hour. And my friend who lives up the road so at a a few hundred feet higher elevation and the wind is even stronger up there than it is down here and they have an old-fashioned anemometer and they're like yeah it was 40 so i just you know for Uh, somebody who likes data i just always want to know how fast is that and then just look at you know tracking the history there's we've got somebody there's a friend in town who has you know, the whole weather station and he's on weather underground and everything. Yeah. But he's at a much lower elevation than I am. So I, I'm I don't know. I'm I've been kind of fantasizing about having an anemometer for all these years. But as long as I have that, I might as well just go. You go know, all I'm, I'm a big fan of Oregon data. Scientific. And they make good gear. They're but they're top of the line professional gear with the anemometer and so forth. Four hundred bucks. 
Yeah. Well, that's why I'm like, well, it's not really 5,000, but I got to pay somebody to get it up onto my roof and then it, fix it once in a while. Yeah. And and the rain <laughs> gauge and, See, and all that good like stuff. like a true northerner, you should be thinking how to make one from a weather vane and a rotation sensor or something. Oh, like, come on. I'm a geek. <laughs> exactly. This is what I'm saying. I want the, I want the high tech stuff. All right. Awesome. I yeah. Very cool. Very good. Did we talk about EF Core yet? Let's talk Hardly. about EF Core. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm very glad to talk about this, this battle of entity framework to DBA and just this, you know, how do we get this right? Because I think it's important. But, but we all, you always make us talk about that part. Well, we always you, go back to, well, how say, about database projects? <laughs> yeah. It's only when you say evil DBA things. That's all. That's all. <laughs> Wait, I don't say anything evil about a DBA. Or do you mean I bring up things that'll upset a DBA? I think that yeah. was me, Julie. Yeah. That was, my, yeah, my that was Carl. Carl this time. <laughs> but, and again, it's like, I think that developers fall in this trap. You forget what DBAs are concerned about. Yeah. It, you know, these are important issues. That person's success is measured on their ability to maintain the data at, at performance levels too, right? Yeah. And, and often the, the, con the contracts that are generated in code first, they're just like, NVAR car max inked fast. Yeah. It's just, that's, and it's hard to undo it once it's been deployed. Yep. Well, I, you know, I for one am always trying to encourage developers to, you know, Keep the DBA in the loop. Yeah. And, you know, and I work, I, the other day I was, uh, I'm working on my getting started with the EF core course for Pluralsight. And I'm, you know, playing with, a, looking at the logs and I saw this really weird thing happening that I didn't understand because, I, you know, I don't, I'm not a SQL expert. And this was with respect to the fact that EF core now supports batch operations. So was he doing, I was doing a batch insert, just two things. And I didn't understand, it was preparing all of these um, table variables, like a first one and then another one. And then it was doing this weird merge into the actual table. And I didn't know how to read that. So I, I sent it to Richie, right? So I have a handful of, of uh, friends who are, um, of you know, a, a, a whole bunch of, friends who are real experts at SQL Server. So again, this, you know, I just happened to talk to Richie about it. And so he, I sent it to him and he explained it to me so that I could understand how much of it, you know, like to say table variables, not temp tables, because they were table variables. And right, he actually yeah. did look at it and say, you know, um, this this is okay it's not the way i would do it and i and it looks like you know without knowing everything uh if they went down this path for a hundred inserts or a thousand inserts um i could see them hitting this you know running into a particular wall but maybe when they're doing a thousand inserts ef translates the query differently i i I really don't know. Um, so he's gonna he's gonna look into it. So I, you know, I, I that's really important, right? Like, so part of it was how do I explain this to people? Like, sure. I'm looking at this, I don't even understand what this is doing, and I can't just show it and go, oh well, you know, it's SQL. I don't care because they do care, right? Yep. And I want most important thing is sometimes 
to the eye of somebody like me and I see all this sequel, I just look at it and go, oh my God, like, oh my God, it's so much sequel and that has to be terrible performance. But it's <laughs> not necessarily the case because no. like with SQL Server, um, it knows how to optimize queries and and do that. So I, I can't. I can't look at that, but I don't, right? I, I look, and if I don't understand it, I ask a professional. Yeah. This is all good advice, Julie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so we did mention something about EF Core there then, which was uh, it does support uh, batch operations. Yeah. Which you can yeah. tweak and, you know, you can you can have effect on. As a matter of fact, the each provider, like the SQL Server provider, uh, internally defines a whole bunch of limitations, you know, how many characters and uh, et cetera. The one thing that you can tweak is how many updates can, how many commands can go in one particular trip. Okay. Is it smart enough to look at, at the commands in there and say, hey, there's two updates to the same uh, piece of data. Should I just do the last one? Mm-hmm. Uh, s- SQL Server wouldn't, but if all of that's coming out of the same DB context, then right. it that wouldn't be possible anyway, because the DB context change tracker comprehends um, the identities, right? So oh, it okay. can't have two things of the same identity. Right. So it because it's all part of the same batch in the context, it would actually have rolled up all the changes anyway before it even wrote the SQL. Right. And, and... So with the DB context, it, you know, one instance of it is tracking whatever you're throwing at it. And for me, if I'm doing disconnected stuff, that's, you know, not going to be very many things at once anyway. Right. Right. With a client side application, maybe if everything's connected, that could be a different story. So might be tracking a whole bunch of things. So one thing we really didn't say about EF Core is that like all things core, this is cross-platform. This is running on .NET Core. Oh, my gosh. Right? I I have a Mac. Well, I think we talked about that last time we were together in Belgium because mm-hmm. I had the Mac with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I went out and got a Mac so just so that I could see what it's like to, to use things and not just deploy it to that environment, but actually code it, debug it, run it in, in something that isn't Windows. And we should also say that any framework has always been able to, or at least for a long time, been able to access data stores other than the Microsoft platform, right? Oh, ab- absolutely. So relational. Yeah. Right. And Microsoft hasn't written all those providers, but there's a ton of providers out there. Now, one of the interesting things we've they're doing with EF Core, and they did some early on experiments with this, some proof of concept, um, some even stronger than, you know, really well fleshed out with Redis Cache and with Azure Table Storage. So um, at some, they set those aside, but at some point we're going to see those come back. So any framework core in being, you know, this whole set of APIs that you can compose together, you may not necessarily need the relational API, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. so you just go straight to one of the uh, NoSQL providers, for example. I mean, it's not necessarily NoSQL. It's just not always going to be relational. Well, if it's not relate, how much SQL do you have that's non-relational? Well, that that was kind of the big, 
you know, big question, like, wait, it's an object relational mapper. So if you take yeah. the relational out, you know, what's, what's going on there? So, um, it you know, part of the idea is, first of all, it's not SQL, right? It's, it's more, you know, you're going to be using JSON or something like that. Right. So um, you might be familiar with the fact that there's already a .NET client for DocumentDB. There's a .NET client for Azure Table Storage. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the way they handled it with the Azure Table Storage proof of concept API that they were working on was they essentially built a wrapper around this is my understanding. They built a wrapper around the .NET client that already existed. So just taking advantage of it and and saying, look, if you're already using EF, we're going to give you easy easy access to some of the simple ways of in, of querying and pushing data into the data store. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I'm wondering if yeah, it's path it for EF to does, go down. And it kind of doesn't, right? Right. Because it's not like uh, it's it's like you're not going to do code first, right? Hmm. On right, you're not going to create migrations or something like that to create the database. It's going to already be there. Um, one of the things that I thought of, and actually, it was interesting because I had a back and forth with Franz Buma. Well. Many of us have had many back and forths with Franz because he's he likes to you know he likes to push the thinking, right? Some people are uh, a little taken back by that, but it's great for me because it really makes me think, and I've learned so much from him. But you know, he was kind of laughing about the whole like, why do you need to use an ORM to get access to something that is not relational? Right, and I. I was thinking about this one day when I was doing some work with DocumentDB and I was using the .NET client and there was so much setup stuff that you have to do. And mm. I remember having had to do that the same with the .NET client for Azure Table Storage. There was all this kind of pre-definition stuff you had to do before you could say, get some data or push some data up to um, up to the table store. And when I used the Azure Table Storage EF core, well, it was EF7 at the time, API, the API took care of all of that setup stuff. And all I had to do was, you know, here's the connection string to the Azure Table Storage and read data and push data in. <laughs> it was so nice. And even Franz said, Okay, that is actually a really, really excellent benefit. If you got Franz Boma saying this is cool, you know, yeah, you've done something. Yeah, yeah, yeah you have to work hard for that. You do, you, know? you do. No, he's, he's a very demanding. critical thinker in this space. Yeah, yeah, and that's not to be critical of him. I, no, it, it, no, he's amazing. He's he is amazing and so smart. Yeah, but he Criti doesn't. A, a very much a critical thinker. He has thought about yeah. these problems for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I always appreciate his thinking. Yeah. I learn a lot for him from, did I say I learn a lot for him? Well, maybe <laughs> I do that too. I meant to say I learn a lot from him. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he <laughs> friends will make you smarter. There's no two ways about it. Yep. I just wonder about this. You know, we've seen this model over and over again about taking objects, storing them as objects in whatever store that may look like. And then asynchronously post facto decomposing them in their relational stores once the customer's done, right? Like complete the transaction, get done, get your friend and freed up and then do your decomposition later. I just don't know if that's EF's job that they could do both things in one move. I'm not following you. 
So, I mean, this is a this is an architectural model we've seen brought up many times on the show that you've you've built your e-commerce site, right? And you've mm-hmm. you've, you, you've got a, a front end that's composing an object that is an order. Now you've complete the customer has completed the order. Why make the customer wait while your ORM breaks that object down into rows and columns to store in the database? Why not simply store the object? Let the customer go. They're done. We've made their order. You won't, it's only you that wants to take that object and break it up into a relational database for your reporting purposes. Mm-hmm. So okay. let them go and do it later. Sure. And later meaning milliseconds later, but more importantly, without the front end waiting. Right. It's in a way, it's almost uh, even if you're you're saving the actual state, it's a sim- similar concept to using an event store where you're, you know, you've just got one place where you're pushing data in pushing data to, right? And maybe a, a pushing data to, which is yeah. more like this got added, this got updated, this got deleted, right? And then that in turn through a series of message queues and things like that reconstructs, it pushes pushes all of that out to various databases, various data stores, mm-hmm. and which reconstruct the state. So that, yeah. you know, if you want something reporting, then you go to the relational thing and, and you can pull it down from there. If you need to get it back as an object, you go to the NoSQL database that it got pushed to. So I'm not suggesting that you're saying event store, but it's just still the same kind of idea. Put it yeah. into the simplest way to persist it and then have another series of, um, you know, queues and bots and you know, whatever, uh, microservices, we can have Michelle help us with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that push that, you know, that push that stuff out to the databases so that you can then consume it in the best way possible. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, that are- is actually interesting. Like just, you know, I guess the difference between if you're, if you're coding in .NET, you're using C sharp or VB, you can either use, you know, a .NET client, to get at it or use the EF client, if all you're doing is just the the part of the database data store, like Azure Table Storage or DocumentDB, where they're already set up, like all the smart work has been done, the DBA, right, has done the right thing, and you're right. just pushing data in and pulling data back out. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, no, I like it. It's And it's interesting to just absorb some of that. Like that's this is what we look for a framework to do. Yeah, I haven't thought about it that way before. So I'll be thinking about that. It's really interesting. We should write a thing. <laughs> should write a thing. thing, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, Carl, for, uh, uh, over the years, we've contemplated Julie and Michelle and I doing a conference talk together called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. <laughs> Who's the ugly? <laughs> yeah, you want to guess? You don't, you don't want to guess. <laughs> awesome. It is not Michelle. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> No, but you know, because it's exactly what you, I think this show has actually been a, a lot of the conversation about the idealistic developer and the the architect with the the, the demanding vision and the DBA going, hey, <laughs> we actually have to store this stuff. So it's the, and you're going to want to find it again. As Sahil Malik once said on this show, this is a classic battle between developer fairies and infrastructure ogres. <laughs> yes. 
We can do it. We can do it. No, you can't. No, you can't. He always has such a nice way of putting things. I love it. So what else do you want to know about EF Core? You know, it's released, right? It's really what? It has released. It's real. Yeah, it's out. It's in the it's world. It's out. Yeah. And uh, the 1.1 preview is out. So 1.1 is coming shortly along with .NET Core 1.1 and ASP.NET Core 1.1. Yeah. And I'm looking at that. And for most of what I do and how I code and what my needs are, 1.1 has personally for me, right? This is not going to be the same answer for everybody because there's a lot of features that people are waiting for. Yep. But there's one for me, there's one feature left that's going to be out in 1.2 that is my breaking point. Okay. Right. And, and that's because I do domain driven design and it's the support for complex types that gives me the ability to have value objects in, in entity framework. Yeah. They, I just discovered something. It's actually been in there since the beginning of this year, which means, you know, in the early, like the early previews and, um, in, 1.0 release, it was in there and I didn't even realize it was in there. It was something mm. that I requested, I put in as a as an issue on CodePlex four five years ago. Wow. Right. And I've been waiting for it all this time. And it was in there and I didn't even realize it until earlier this week. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I, I like was, <laughs> I don't know, I was going through GitHub, right? And I just came across it because I was looking for something else, which yeah. is the ability to define a DB context that's read-only. And right. I've always wanted to do that, especially when I'm building like a web do we, API. Do we need to define value object? Like just, you know, because that's a DDD concept, which I don't know that everybody's familiar with. Oh, so a value object is not a true entity. It, it doesn't have its own identity. So a lot of times uh, people like, well, it's really, really important in financial systems, um, but I I have an example that makes more sense to me. It mm -hmm. actually, I have to say that over the course of about a year, I heard five different ways of explaining value objects, and right. it wasn't until I had the fifth one that the whole shape of what they were trying to describe finally made sense to me. Oh. Uh, the combination of all those explanations finally made sense. So I may not be able to do it in, you know, 140 characters or less. But right. an example that makes sense to me is um, like an address object if you're doing a sales system, right? Mm -hmm. And you have an order. So usually we would say, okay, order has a one-to-one -one relationship with this particular address in the system. Right. Right. And then uh, then the people move and the address gets edited. And then you go back to print a report of the orders and the address is not the address that got sent. That that product actually got Where, shipped to. Yeah. Right. Right. So what makes more sense is to have an you still want an, an object, a class that describes the address because it's got the you know, street and the city and the postal codes and sure. and all of that. Yeah. But you don't want it to be this related thing. You actually want to persist it within the order. 
right? right. So this is the, so the journal type, mindset that I need an exact it, copy of the truth at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of having uh, a relationship, right, we, we usually describe things as our uh, properties as scalar properties, but this property should actually be an address type, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's, it's part of it. And the, what, so, so that's an example of a value object. A few more important things with respect to domain driven design is a value object. It doesn't have its own identity, like a primary key. Its identity is literally made up of the values of all the properties. Right. Hmm. And it's immutable. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't change. This is the value. If you need, if the, if some piece of it changes, then you need to create a new one. Anyway, so that's a, that's kind of a high level. Uh, when Steve Smith and I did our DDD fundamentals course for, uh, for Pluralsight, mm-hmm. we worked really, really hard on that because I didn't want it to take a year and five different views of, you know, what it could be. So, uh, I think we, we did that pretty succinctly and we worked really hard at that. Anyway, so entity framework needs to know how to deal with these because entity framework is about entities and this isn't a true entity because it doesn't right. have an ID. An entity has to have an ID. So entity framework has this concept of a complex type, right? If you think about it, it makes sense. It's a type that's complex. It's not just right. a scalar value. And whenever it sees one of those that's part of uh, a class, so the order class has this type, this property that is that complex type. The way it deals with the persistence is it persists it in the same table. So you'll end up just having those five fields, those five columns in the same table with the order. So yeah. it's mm-hmm. persisted there. And, you know, people are like, oh, but you have to have your data normalized and everything. Oh my God, it's now we're duplicating the data because I've got that object also. I've got that data also in my address table. Yeah. And oh my God, I've just duplicated it. Right. right? That would have been a worry 30 years ago. <laughs> right. But when the cost of storage the was relevant. Guy, right. Can the da- can't the database handle that now? Yeah. Okay. Well, Richard, you know, you tell so me. much of normalization had to do with saving space, mm-hmm. right? Like, and now that that's just not that big of a deal. We don't think about that at all. Now right. it's more about wh- how do I keep stuff fast and how do I keep stuff truly accurate? You know, the, if you go to the full normalization model for handling multiple addresses, now each of those addresses is an entity that you're using identifiers to point to in orders, and right, it right. actually makes a really complicated database. Yeah. So that's so the com the complex types um look like you, not everybody is doing DDD, right? Not everybody is using value objects. Mm, so sure. it wasn't at the top of their hit list of all right, we cannot release this thing without these features. Right. So yeah. it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> so much work. and then the fun part is being on github and like what you can watch the conversation right? oh the, yeah of them working yeah. on the product it's all kind of in the in the open yeah yeah but also you know it, it took away my my uh special um status so to speak whereas right. you know back in the old days i like 
you know, I'd try something out and it didn't make sense to me. And I would just, you know, send an email to some of the folks on the EF team like, hey, what's going on with this, right? So <laughs> I had all that. Now it's like, oh, I have to go look on look on GitHub and search to see if somebody else talked about it, what's going on with it. And if I can't find that, then I have to ask publicly. It's so humiliating. <laughs> <laughs> And and Poor most of the time, I swear it's because something I just missed, like yep. I overlooked, and then I'm like, "Well, there's oh so my many God. things to look at. It's hard to get them all." It is. Right? It yeah. is. Well, Julie, what's next for you? What are you working on? Well, you know, EF Core just came out, so I'm yeah. I'm busy, working busy, on busy. digging digging in as deeply as I can, and the you know. We don't have all the API documentation or anything, so there's a lot to learn and to discover and figure out. And so I'm in the process of doing that. And I did, um, I, I, you know, I had so much fun doing my EF Core talk at Dev Intersection because I had, you know, a whole bunch of demos. I also spend a lot of time saying, look, these are the important things you need to know. Okay, now let's have some fun and, and we'll do some demos. So now I'm working on um, my EF Core course for Pluralsight. I was doing it for 1.0, but now 1.1 is so imminent and the preview is so close to what it is that I've actually backed up and I'm, you know, change, changing it all to be. Uh, taking 1.1 into account. So it won't be outdated the day that it gets published. Yeah. Just the week after. Are you going to Amsterdam? No, no. Um, actually, I have one more trip ahead of me for the rest of my life. Yeah, really? My whole life, which is going to the Microsoft MVP Summit. Um, I'm one, leaving on Sunday. One last hurrah. So and then you're that, home. I literally have nothing else the whole rest of my life. I don't know how long that'll last, yeah, okay. but it's just a funny, amazing <laughs> state to be in. Yeah. I, I, there is almost no point in any given year that I do not have outstanding airline tickets. What do you call yourself? You've been in, what do you say, Richard? You've been in, you've been jet lagged for since 2001. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like William Gibson's concept that jet lag is actually the, the, your soul being pulled out of your body because you're moving too fast in an airplane. <laughs> yeah, and oh, then in that you have, you have to unwind it, let it catch up. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure my soul is snarled in a knot over Mongolia and has been for like a decade. <laughs> and I'd really like to see it again sometime, but you know, I'm not going to Mongolia anytime soon. So next time somebody says, oh, that Richard Campbell, he has no soul. We understand. <laughs> oh, no, I have what one. It's did. just stuck in a knot over <laughs> Mongolia. It's lost you in know, as, baggage transit. I'm not a spiritual person, but still there's a level at which that just totally, that concept slays me. Just, yeah. it's just, <laughs> it's, good it's too horrible. Like right. Your yeah. soul just left your body temporarily. Yeah, that's a good Whoa. one. But you know that feeling, right? That, that, that jet lag feeling, like there are pieces of me missing. I believe I left them on the airplane. Usually it's my, feels like my brain. <laughs> yeah. <there you> go. <laughs> All right. And with that, Thanks, Julie. It's always great talking to you. So much fun. Thanks again for having me on. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios. 
a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.